I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. What does it mean to be an optimal being? Kathleen Bulger, registered holistic nutritional consultant, shares how a near-death experience taught her a lesson to slow down in life, but not before experiencing additional health crises. Kathleen shares what she learned from these experiences and how that set her on a path to helping women to take control of their lives by focusing on nutrition, connection, and creativity. Let's learn how to be an optimal being. Welcome, Kathleen Bulger, to Soul Sister Conversations. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to have you, my friend. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while, and I know we're going to be talking about some exciting things that you've been holding out on me that I want to know about, like a near-death experience, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But I think the main thing that we're going to be talking about today is how do we be an optimal being? And you have a a thing or two uh, around that that you know you've been through some experiences. As I find so many people, when they get on a path uh, where they want to help other people, they've been through something that they want to share and uh, some little secret or tips that they know about how to help people. So you are a registered holistic nutritional consultant, and you use mind, body, and spirit to to help people be their most optimal being. But before that, you were living a life deeply immersed in work as an employment counselor and helping people with disabilities find work. And did you shift willingly off that path? Uh, I know you suffered some health crises. Or what shifted you to the path that you're on now as a registered holistic nutritional consultant? Well, Dana, I'd really like to tell you it was an easy shift, but I learned a lot of my lessons the hard way like lots of people do. And back in 2006, um, I had horses and I was in a horseback riding accident and I suffered some pretty uh, significant impact injuries and multiple surgeries. And I realized then that there was a lot of things I wasn't doing to properly care for myself. And I know most of us, we don't know what we don't know. So we don't know if we're caring to ourselves to the best of our abilities because you don't always have the information. So I started back then studying herbology, level one herbology. I started studying some energy work and Reiki and a lot of other modalities that seemed to all sort of just come to me at the right time to help me recover and really regroup. So that was that was a really important pivotal point for me. The accident. The accident was. So in 2006, so you you were horseback riding and what happened? Well, I was horseback riding and my merit had a full. And I was not home. I was actually in New Brunswick, coincidentally, (laughs) and uh, where my horse was originally from. And we were riding in a field with mares and foals. And my mare was very energetic and happy and pleased to be out. It was actually the May long weekend. And the foal was running along and it began to rain. And the foal came and she actually slid across the field towards the mare because she lost her footing. So the mare bucked to not step on the foal. And when she bucked, I ended up with the saddle horn puncturing my underneath my ribs. And so it punctured my spleen, collapsed my lungs. I lost my gallbladder. I had multiple surgeries following that. Wow. So it's after that 
um, accident that you then started studying herbology and Reiki or was it was that that so that's what prompted everything. So I don't know what part we should start with. Should we? It seems to me like I think we're going to start with the near death experience because I have a feeling that's like a pivotal part of your your story. Um, so when you had this, you, you got punctured by the saddle horn and what then happened? Did you lose consciousness or? Well, it was a very interesting thing because my husband was there, but he wasn't with me. He was up in another field and he saw, he was on a four wheeler. He saw my horse with a rider and knew immediately something was wrong. And somebody driving by pulled off the road to help me and I didn't lose consciousness and I'm super stubborn, which can serve you well sometimes, but not all the time. <laughs> and my and this man wanted me to get in his his vehicle because he saw the accident and knew something was terribly wrong. And and I waited for my husband and he took me to the first hospital. And when they saw me, they were like, no, her injuries are way beyond anything we can deal with. So then they ended up taking me to St. John's Hospital, where I ended up having surgery. 10 days later, because they were trying to save my spleen. You need your spleen. That's one of the organs that helps you with your immune system. It helps certain cells, lymphocytes, and things are developed in your spleen. And it holds about a third of your blood all the time. So when you puncture your spleen, your chances of bleeding to death are significant if it isn't attended to in a reasonable period of time. So what happened was they took me there and they tried to save my spleen. And they weren't able to after after a while. They thought it had healed. They sat me up and then my spleen literally burst open and I suffered severe internal bleeding. And that's when I finally lost consciousness days into it. Okay. And I had an emergency surgery. Okay. So that was that was the part where things got interesting because I had been away from my kids. They were still back here. I've been in the hospital for 10 days. And I have been laid flat, wrapped like a mummy on a bed, unable to move. I was too fed on everything. Like there's just, they don't want you to move. If you have a ruptured spleen, they hope it will heal. And they didn't know the extent of my other injuries. Besides, I didn't have a lot of broken bones. But mm. when, my, when my spleen ruptured, I was very fortunate because there was an ambulance on the way to get me to take me to a Nova Scotia hospital. And had I been in the ambulance, I would not have survived. Wow. Yeah. So I was super lucky. I went into an emergency surgery. It sounds funny to say that I was super lucky, but it's true, you know? Yeah. Think how, how things unfolded. Right. And so what happened when you went on this surgery? So when I went in for the surgery, I guess I was in the surgery for a very long time. And this is- Did you recognize you were going into surgery? Like, or you, it burst and you kind of lost consciousness or- Well, it burst and I, and things- I knew it had, had ruptured because right away I, I started to feel like I'd had a few blood transfusions up to this point. And I just I literally felt like somebody turned on a tap and was pouring the energy out of my body. I was like, okay, something isn't right. And then I told my husband I was having trouble seeing. And then I told him I was having trouble like focusing and I couldn't concentrate. And that's when the nurse came and said my blood pressure had bottomed out and I had internal bleeding. And I don't remember a lot after that. Like, I, I think after that, I pretty much lost consciousness. Wow. Yeah. And so they rushed you into emergency surgery. And you said that's when things get interesting. So what what happened? Or is, I assume this is where you had the near-death experience. Yeah, and it's funny because you, I've heard so much about near-death experiences and, you know, things like light and peace and 
and things like that. But I have to do everything just a little different. <laughs> just a wee bit different, Kathleen. <laughs> so let's let's hear how you did things a little wee bit differently. Well, my mom had passed away. Um, I guess it was probably 15 or 16 years previous to that. And my husband had never met my mom. But when I was on the operating table, it was very clear to me that I was on the operating table, even though I wasn't conscious. I knew where, where I was at and I, and I knew what was happening. And it's, it was quiet, but I knew all the commotion going on around me. And my mom came to the top of the table. Now she's been dead 15 years and she was like, it's going to be okay. And I was like, oh, good. You've come to get me. And she's like, no. And I'm like, what do you mean? No. And she's like, no, I'm not coming to get you. It's not your time yet. And I was like, it's not my time yet. Like I've just been in a fatal accident. So I'm actually having a scrap with my mother. (laughs) Boy, that mother daughter thing never ends. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you, you have to take me with you. I've been laying in ICU listening to bells and whistles and hearing people. So many people died in the, in the 10 days I was in there. You just hear alarms go off and the person's wheeled out. And like, it was just a super unpleasant place to be. My husband had been sleeping in a chair for days beside me. And it was, it was, I barely knew what was happening. So it made no sense for me, for her to leave me there. And she was, she said to me, time, time is an illusion. It doesn't exist. In the blink of an eye, you'll be done here. There's things you have to do. And I was like, I can't believe you're going to leave me here. Like I was pissed that she was leaving me there to suffer. Right. And it was, it was the funniest thing. And I, I remember very clearly she, she was like, she had her hand on my, on my shoulder and then on my forehead. And, and she was very much, I'll see you in a minute. I'll yeah. see you in a minute. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like, huh, that was, but I, I was like upset. I was in tears. I was crying about it. You wanted to go. I wanted to go. Yeah, I was done. I was, didn't want to suffer anymore. Right. Cause you were in, it, you suffer in terms of the pain from the accident. You mean? Yeah. yeah. I was. So did a- you have consciousness awareness though about, okay, you have a husband who was waiting for you and children and you wanted to go like, do you have any recollection in it that you recognized you were, you know, uh, having a near death experience or, or you came back into your body and you recognized, wow, I have a memory from the surgery or how did you recognize it as a near death experience? Well, I think a part of me really wanted my husband's suffering to stop too, because I he was not sleeping for days beside my bed, and and he's military. He has seen a lot of things, mm. and the and the stress and the worry on his face, and and he wasn't my husband at the time. We hadn't gotten married at that point. We'd lived together and and cohabitated, but we hadn't gotten married at that time. And I was like, this guy does not need this. <laughs> I just need to go. Wow. Yeah, it was it was a really unique experience on a lot of levels. And I think I really didn't process that it was a near-death experience till after it was over because when I came out of the anesthetic, I was still crying. I was crying as as if I had been on the bed. Having that experience. Having that experience. And I remember waking up and I was just bawling. And I my husband had never or my pre-husband at the time, I guess. 
had never met my mom and I, I was in tears and I woke up and he said, what's the matter? I said, I am so pissed off at mom. And he was like, well, those must be really fine drugs. <laughs> she did 15 years prior. And uh, so it took me a while and, and to really process it. And, and it was a couple of days later and I told him, you know, mom was there and she told me I couldn't come with her. And I was angry that she wouldn't let me go and that she'd leave me here to suffer. And, and I gave him more of the details. Like I, I, I remember how mom smelled. I remember how her hands felt on my shoulder. I remember her voice. My mom was like five foot nothing. And she had seven kids and she was a powerful, tiny little lady. And, and that power was definitely there with me and in the room. And, and since oh, then, yeah, since then I have, she has, she has been around. So, mm. And I think it was her way to tell me, you're not, you're not paying attention. I'm here. I'm here. Right. I never left you. H- how does she show up for you when you say she's here? I'm always curious in those stories. <laughs> the most recent time, which is just another one, because my mom was a feisty person and she told you like it was. Yeah. But I mean, she died of lung cancer in 2001. And, um, <laughs> and we were driving along and I kept saying, I hate, the, I hate the smell of smoke. Both my parents smoked when I was a kid. They just didn't know back then that it wasn't sure. a safe choice, right? So I hate the smell of cigarette smoke. And I kept getting in my car and smelling cigarette smoke. And I was like, oh, I don't know where that smoke is coming from. That is driving me insane. And I kept thinking, oh, just reminds me of mom and, and mom and dad. And, and then I said to Tom one day, why does a car smell like cigarette smoke? And Tom's not. He's not a non-believer, but he's not going to buy in lock, stock, and barrel. Let me say that. And he looked at me and he said, it's your mother. She obviously has something to say to you. You need to sort it out. And I was like, mom, whatever you have to say, I'm paying attention. I'll listen. Just show me. And the cigarette smoke went away and I haven't smelled it again. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, it's funny. And it's funny that you're saying that because this morning I shared on my Instagram stories, it was just, uh, I can't remember whoever it was from, but it was just saying the universe is speaking to you all the time in synchronicities, in lyrics, in your feed, there are things there, you know, so it's about this whole paying attention. So the smoke went away and you took that as a sign that you're paying attention. So you just kind of be uh, much more alert to life in general. There's lots of times she's come to me when I'm rushing through life. And, and that's what we do as women in general. We multitask. We rush through life. We look after spouses, children, parents, pets, homes, all of those things. And I think my mom, the gift of my mom was my mom got to be a stay-at-home mom. And, and she, she wanted me to slow down a lot. Because when I met the man who's now my husband, I was, I was a single parent for a few years. And my mom used to say, you're not really doing it that differently than I did it. You're, you're doing all right. Mm. And I think when I get overwhelmed, oftentimes that's still the message I get. She will give me something to slow me down. And, and we do. It is synchronicity. It is how the universe speaks to us. It is so much like if you don't slow down, it will slow you down. Right. How many times have we heard that or people have experienced it? You're right. It's the whisper. Then it's the bigger thing. Then the bigger thing. So how did this um, near-death experience put you on the path that you are today? Or how does it relate to it? See, I think in a lot of ways, it really started to make me take control of my own health and my own life. Because 
A, they tell you, you don't really need a spleen. You can survive without it. You just have to have this series of immunizations. And I was like, "Mm, I did them once and I've never done them again because they didn't feel right in my body. Mm. I really started to pay attention to what felt right in my body and what did not feel right in my body. Now, I knew right away as soon as I had the surgery, I, I have a very long incision. It's the whole length of me. In the front of me, it's probably, I don't know, 14 inches long down the front of me. And they had stapled me shut with surgical staples. And as soon as I woke up, I said to my husband, I'm allergic to surgical staples. And the surgeon said, nobody's allergic to surgical staples. Don't be so ridiculous. I was allergic Mm -hmm. to surgical staples. I had a massive infection. I went home. I had to have them taken out. I had to have drains put in. I had to be put on home care. I had to have another surgery because of a major infection that was all down the incision. Like I kept being told, you know, be heard, be heard, be heard. And people just weren't listening. And I think one of the things I really want women to do in particular is to be heard, find your voice, speak your truth and be heard. And that was the beginning of that lesson, right down to our own self-care after yourself, because you're all you have. This is no dress rehearsal. This is one body. This is it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you suffered a few heart, um, health crises as well. You've suffered a stroke and heart attack. Did those come after your uh, accident? They did. Actually, my stroke happened um, six years after the accident. But I think a lot of that was about a year plus after the accident. I'd had too many operations. So the abdominus rectus muscle that runs up the front of you would not close over anymore. So I had to have an artificial piece of mesh put in that is most of the front of me now Mm. hold everything together. And I don't think, again, my body really responded well to that implant at the time. I think there's just been too much unresolved trauma from all of the accidents, like the accident, the infections, the state that had never been addressed. So it did not, it didn't respond well. Mm. So I think in the end, I decided I was getting my life back. Things were going to get normal. I jumped back in. I was driving hours to teach courses. I taught a a class called prior learning assessment. I was driving two hours to teach that. I was doing my employment counseling again. I was, I was going hard over again because I was going to, this wasn't going to affect me. I was going to get on with my life and prove I could do it. That was it. That was all. Mm. And so I didn't hear the whisper very well. (laughs) I was going to say, that sounds like you weren't listening to something, Kathleen. (laughs) So, you know, the yelling began from the universe. (laughs) And what did that look like? Well, when I reflected back, I guess I knew I was going to have a stroke or I knew something was wrong. I didn't know it would manifest as a stroke. Let me say that. Mm. But I remember writing a date because we had to do contracts when we had clients and they were applying for funding. We had to do up a whole funding contract and a rational letter. And I remember writing a date that was like six years wrong in the wrong month. And I wrote my my previous last name on it. And I was like, what am I doing? Like my mind is just not functioning well. And I remember driving and thinking, this doesn't look familiar. And after a few minutes, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. It looks familiar. And it was my way home that I took every single day. I drove the same road every day. It was one road to my work and back because I lived in a rural area. So I think I knew those things were going to happen to me when I look back at it. But at the time I was like, nope, 
I'm going to be normal. I'm going to fight this. And that's where I think we fall off the track. We're going to fight things and be normal and yeah, get back to our push through. Yes. Push through. Push that's through. how we do these things. Yeah, it's a bad choice. I'm just saying it's a bad choice. <laughs> yeah. So you, you almost felt like there was a sense of some, something that was going to occur because your body wasn't feeling right, which eventually manifested, like you said, as a stroke. And then did the heart attack follow that? Well, when I had the stroke, I was very fortunate because I was camping with the staff. I was a employment counselor at a medical clinic at the time, working with people at a social economic disadvantage, and I was camping with them. So I was very fortunate they recognized that I was having a stroke because I don't know if you've ever read Jill Bolte-Taylor's book, but The Stroke of Insight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. She, she gave words to the to the experience I was having that I would have been embarrassed to tell somebody about. It was so peaceful and so calm and and quiet that it was almost, it was almost relaxing to have a stroke. And I think that's, what's the message? Slow down, relax. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. Kathy or Kathleen, you love this feeling so much. We're going to give it to you in the form of a stroke. (laughs) That that doesn't seem right. (laughs) Yeah. That's so strange. And so then, and then, so th- what, so what, what did that stroke do for you then? You then had to do a recovery? I did have to do a recovery. So for that stroke, I lost my language skills. I couldn't speak. I couldn't, I couldn't write. I, I thought I could write too. Like I asked for a pen and I mm. put the pen on the paper and I could make funky designs, but I could not recall the shape of a letter and I couldn't control my hand. And it was mildly entertaining to me as, as twisted as that sounds. I was like, how is that possible? I've known how to do this my whole life. That is so bizarre. Yeah. But it was like, you're again, it's, it's, you're observing yourself. Mm. So that's a, a big lesson. Slow down and observe yourself, like pay attention to your abilities and what you can and can't do and what's within your control. And I was not paying attention to what was within my control because I dove back into work and there I was in the same situation, burning the candle at both ends, helping everybody out, even on my off time, because the the services that we offered, you had to be the square peg in the square hole to get the funding. And that was not working for me to leave people out. So I would do it on my own time. Mm. So yeah, anybody listening to that, I mean, a lot of people can resonate with that. They give, 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 give some more and give again. And and I think your statement, you are observing yourself. You know, I think this would probably be a theme that runs through this conversation is that, you know, to take that time, it was almost like, you know, even with your stroke, you were almost having the same experience that you did with your near death experience. You were observing yourself. You could see yourself in the situation. It's kind of interesting to me that you had you know, similar experiences. Yeah. And it is, it is very, it is the same message coming to you in a different, different delivery form. Right. Like, do you get it now? And I have often <laughs> said, I have to wear the class of life wearing a dunce cap, you know? <laughs> so um, did you get it then when you had the stroke and you've had, you know, you've obviously then over that period of six years, you have recovery from the accident, you get the stroke and you're recovering again. Did you sit up and go, all right, (laughs) what's going on here? Or did you push through again? Well, I jumped in for a while and I studied raw nutrition. Um, There's a course put on by a gentleman who used to live in Canada named David Wolf. And I got hurt over into that 
I studied that. I really switched up my eating habits. I started to, I, I, joined a painting class and started to paint because I was very aware of left brain, right brain, neuroplasticity, feeding your brain. I started to be much more conscientious of essential fatty acids and the things I was doing to feed my brain, both intellectually and nutritionally. Mm -hmm. So I think that it was another huge step for me to pay attention to that. But then there's always a social norm of, okay, you got to get back to normal. You got to sort your shit out and get back to normal. So I was like, okay, we got posted to Ontario while I was recovering. So it's like I got to Ontario and got to leave that behind me. Okay, all that happened there. I'm starting all over again. (laughs) Right. And did that happen? No, it took me with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so then how long did it take you then to get on the path of starting to help other people or where did the heart attack come into play? Was that another health crisis that you had to contend with or was that like a sort of a function of the stroke? Well, I think it's very interesting because I think from the horseback riding on, I really started to work with my clients even on a more energetic level and pay attention to them and really Mm -hmm. know that they were doing good self-care, still not focusing so much on me. Right. After the stroke, the same thing. I took a job in Ontario as soon as I was allowed, and I recovered to the point where I became a job developer. So I actually job shadowed with people on their jobs, and I would learn their jobs and help them do it and find the skills they needed to do it and work with employers. So again, I got back to the square peg, square hole situation. You just kept returning to the (laughs) the thing that you knew. (laughs) <laughs> the scene of the crime. This is hey, the- right. <laughs> yes. So at what point did you eventually shift away from that and said, okay, I'm really interested in helping people be their most optimal being. And I've learned some things through my experiences um, using mind, body, and spirit and uh, all your messages of slowing down and paying attention that you realize you need to shift this to helping other people. In particular, you help women uh, with this. So when did that begin to happen? I think it unfolded in small incremental pieces, but I didn't really put it all together into one big thing till after I had my heart attack. And I had my heart attack in 2014 and we were living in Ontario and it had been a little bit stressful because I left one of my daughters here to finish high school and it sort of broke my family up a little bit, but I was like, that's what military families do. It's okay. And I knew going in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how could I possibly feel bad about that? In, in societal norm situations. Right. And so, you know, then my dad became ill and it was a long, a long road to the end of his life because he lived, he lived six or seven months longer than they thought he was going to live with a reasonable quality of life. And I think when he died, it was about, it wasn't much longer. I think it was like a month later that I had the heart attack. And I think it was my body going enough enough yeah let go release and I really I then I had I had studied herbology level one I had done personal nutrition I had done David Wolf's raw nutrition class and I was like okay I need to do this full-time I need to practice this I need this to become a way to inform other people to stop doing what I'm doing let let mm-hmm. me save you from learning my lessons by giving you some information and you know, I might not be able to save people from doing the exact same mistakes, but at least I can give them the information I didn't have to help them along. Right. Right. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's so true. So what do you know? I know for you, that's what you do now. You're a registered holistic nutritional consultant. And on the road to an optimal being, you've broken it down into three ideas that you see as really central or important to becoming that. And one is nutrition, the other is connection, and the uh, third is creativity. So what role does nutrition play? I mean, I know you and I have talked about food as medicine. I believe that too. You know, I, I've got my kids on a juicing kick right now. <laughs> I, I jump into that with fits and starts, do it for a while. Uh, wh- what do we need to know about nutrition? Or what have you learned about the power of nutrition as you've come through these health challenges and see that as a key role? I think with nutrition, the biggest thing is that we have stopped paying attention to our bodies and we have really started paying attention to social media and articles and magazines instead of following our true self and what really works for us in particular. Mm. And I mean, that sounds, we eat on automatic pilot. We feed our bodies on automatic pilot on convenience. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is it truly is the right balance of real food. And that doesn't look the same for everybody. There is no, no quick fix, no magic pill, no anything. It's about changing your default settings. Change your default settings. And it's, and it's. What not, does that mean, your default settings? So lots of people that if they're hungry, the first thing they're going to do is grab something they're used to grabbing. Whether it benefits them or not, it's easy to eat. It's accessible to them. They know if they're going to buy it, where it is in the grocery store. They don't have to do any work, any research. It's just easier. They all they already know that when they eat it, they feel a little bit of energy. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right choice. Mm-hmm. It's just a better choice than some choices could be. So nutrition, food really is our medicine. I mean, if you look at, if you even time travel back 80 years and you look at things like what dairy looked like then and what it looks like now and how we've changed it to be convenient and modern and packaged and have a longer lifespan. And we've actually altered our food. And in doing so, we've altered our own health. Mm. But we're in control of that. We can make good choices. And I don't think it's an all or nothing solution. I think it's I think it's you're doing the best you can with what you have. And, and people have this mindset of if, if I can't do it all, then what is the point? And, and every right. little bit helps. Right. Something is better than nothing. It's it's my little adage. (laughs) You know, it just, if you're constantly just trying one thing. Um, So when people come to you, do you do like a nutritional assessment or um, how do, how do you help people tune into what uh, food they should be eating? So if somebody's working on me, working on me, working with me, somebody should have been working on me. It would have saved me a lot of trouble. (laughs) If somebody's working with me, the first step is generally we have a chat because I really need to know that we're on the same page. And I always say I work with people. I don't do it for them. And people have to be willing to do that for themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a huge piece of the puzzle in my mind. Um, The other thing that is really important is I do a questionnaire with them and it's multiple pages. And I can't tell you how often I've done them. And it's a questionnaire where you answer what you eat, when you sleep, how you sleep, your stress levels. And people will do that questionnaire and it's so very valuable. But so many times we'll be two or three appointments into it. And I find out, well, I didn't put that on the questionnaire because I felt embarrassed or I felt like you might judge me or I felt like, and it's like, 
you really can't worry about that. And that's why I implemented the discovery call because people need to know that with me, what you see is what you get. I'm here for you. Like I am mm-hmm. here to work with you. I, I have no judgments against anybody's eating habits. If I could tell people, I mean, I was a single parent. I lived on potatoes and eggs and macaroni for years. I don't judge anybody. Mm. Just you do the best you can with what you have, but you also need to be able to pay attention and do the best you can with what you have because we don't mm. always. Right. I'm curious, you know, if you lived on a diet of macaroni and potatoes and <laughs> um, and you shifted your health, what what difference did you see in your health once you started eating right for your body? Oh, wow. Well, I think because it's one of those things when you, when you shift the, when you shift things in nutrition, unless you have an intolerance or an allergy, things happen very gradually. And that's where people sometimes don't notice it. Right. You, if you pick up a really good food habit and you get on with it for about six weeks or so, and then something happens, you don't go on vacation or something and you switch that up and you start to feel low energy and brain fog and crappy again, then you go, Oh wait, maybe that was really working. And and it really was working, you know, but you just, because it's not, we're so used to instant gratification, right? Right. A big wow factor. (laughs) Yeah. There is no wow factor when you change it. I mean, there can be sometimes, but digestion so many people don't don't know about chewing their food well they don't know about digestion and and really truly your digestive system is one long tube it goes in your mouth and out the other end and if your digestion isn't working well you, you're getting no value out of your food so that's one of the huge pieces of the puzzle for me when I improved my digestion and started doing things differently and taking some bitters and knowing to have some lemon water or apple cider vinegar and water and and things like that to tweak my digestion, I started to actually feel better in increments. Mm. It's, it's, it's a very good accumulative effect. Feel good in increments. It's so true because you know what? Uh, right now I'm actually almost near the end of doing 30 days of yoga. Um, just doing this, you know, this program, just doing it every day, showing up. And I would not normally work out every single day. I would normally work out maybe like three times a week. But I thought I, I really, I just was felt really drawn to yoga and I did it every day. So some of them were 12 minutes, some of them were 20 or 30. And I remember thinking in the beginning when I was doing it, I thought, oh, poof, I could do a lot more than this. I can do something more strenuous than this. But I just kept sticking with it. And what I noticed, I'm like, okay, that one day that we just laid on the floor and did stretching and a little bit of strength, it was adding up the cumulative effect of it. So it wasn't the individual a workout. It was yeah, here I'm on day 26, I think. And um, I, wow, I can't believe how much stronger I feel, how much more strength I feel. And uh, so I feel like you're really reflecting back what I have been feeling as I went through this is that it is the increments and that most people don't stick with something long enough to feel the effects of it. So, so important to, to try something and stick with it. And I think that's a brilliant point for a whole bunch of reasons. We do have to stick with things. And and if you if you missed a day or if you've ate something you shouldn't have, you don't stop. You know, go. I messed it up. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. Yes. <laughs> that, that's usually what happens, right? If you're yes. on an eating regime, you're like, oh, I ate a chocolate bar. I think I'm done. Yes. <laughs> Versus, we, forgive yourself and restart. <laughs> exactly. Forgive yourself and restart is the key. I, I'm, and and really. 
if we don't move, we don't live. We need to move to live. We need to eat to live and we need to drink to live. Drink water, let me be clear. We need to <laughs> People are like, yes, I've got a drink to live. Well, that was the best news I got at the cardiac clinic in Ottawa was my cardiologist saying, you can easily have one glass of red wine safely every day. And I was like, you know, I'll take that advice. So I'm going to throw it up. I'm keeping that. Please, right? Selective advice. <laughs> but that's what we all do. We all do selective advice instead of paying attention to what really, really yeah. works for us. Yeah. So nutrition is a huge piece. The other piece that you talk about is connection. Connection to what? Yourself. Mm. I think the interesting thing is, especially as I've said before in this interview, is that women, we don't stop to connect to ourselves. We are problem solvers, multitaskers. We are looking after spouses, children, parents, home, pets, you name it. The list goes on, employees, you know, coworkers. And we don't often stop and go, does this feel good to me? Does this, where does this land in my body? How do I feel about doing this? I mean, we've all said yes to things and went, oh, I don't know why I said yes to that. We really need to pay attention to our body and go, that didn't feel good. Why did you say yes to that? It took energy you could have spent doing something you love. It really is about sitting down and going, what feels great to me? And how do I know? How do I know if that feels great to me? Because we haven't we haven't done that. We're not accustomed to doing it. So it's sitting down and having some good, deep discussions on listening to your own body, listening to your intuition, paying attention to what feels good for you. Because this is not about being a certain size by any stretch of the imagination. It's about being your optimal being. And optimal being looks very different for everyone. It really isn't a one size fits all. What works great for me at 56 isn't going to work great for my daughter at 25 and it isn't going to work great for for my mother-in-law at 80 it's you have mm. to, to to define and design your optimal being with my help and by paying attention and listening and connecting to yourself and and I can guide you through that process and make it easier than you ever thought it could be Mm. And you, so you help people connect with themselves and give them ways to tune in or by working with you, teach them how to pay attention. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So important. Mm. And I've been interviewing a lot of women. Um, that's been the focus of my last several weeks. And almost every person, I think maybe there's only one person, if I think about the exception, when I ask the question of what will it take for you to make time for self-care and for yourself? And every person answered some kind of crisis. Yeah. Yeah. We only listen till the big whisper, <laughs> the really loud rackety one comes. Yes. Mine was yeah. pretty much a big screaming match that came. You went screaming and kicking. Yeah. <laughs> so, so nutrition and connection. And the last one is uh, creativity. So what about creativity is important on the road to being an optimal being? So I think that one gets left out a lot, but there's been more and more studies, especially with brain development and consciousness awareness and good health all the way around. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to exercise all the aspects of your body. So when you are creating something, so I do a specific kind of painting that requires zero artistic talent and people equate creativity with artisticness and it can be creativity it can be gardening it can be playing the guitar it can be cooking an amazing dish it can be 
You might be super good at organizing and being able to create a beautiful space in somebody's home. Creativity can look like just about anything. I personally chose painting because I picked that after doing some research on neuroplasticity and left and right brain development. And it was something I could do easily without a ton of physical exertion. So that was important to me. But if you do those things, the stimulation of color for me and the different things it it inspires in you that we all have little triggers, we'll call them triggers for lack of a better word, that come up from your past or from an experience you've had with colors or or textures. And paint to me has so many different colors and so many different textures. And it has a way to explore things. And the kind of paintings that I do, you can't create intentionally. They're very much, I call them essence art because it's an essence of that moment in time. And lots of times when people are finished their painting, they do a little bit of a meditation and a painting. They are wowed by what they see. And they're like, oh, I'll tell you a very quick story. I did it with hospice care. So when I was in Ontario, after I had my stroke, I did not go back to work. I went and volunteered and then ended up working there with hospice care. (laughs) Give, give and give some more. (laughs) And there was, there was people there in the end of their life. Like most of those people were in a day hospice and would come there for a couple of days a week and they had months left to live. And it was like, this is how everybody should create art. They don't care. They're not worried about who's going to judge them, who's going to say they are or aren't good at it or what it looks like. And then they don't even care what they're, what they're going to do with it when they're done. Cause they're like, man, it makes no difference to me. I'm not going to be here forever. And it's like, that's how you should create. That's how you should create. Like just for fun, create like you're five years old or like you, you won't be here tomorrow. Because it's about getting in touch with yourself again. It's about using parts of your brain because it's actually a a biological fact to use different parts of your brain for creation that we often don't connect to because we're too busy. We're going too fast. We're going too hard. We're going in too many different directions. So that part of our brain is actually diminishing. We need to, especially with things like Alzheimer's and all of the other brain issues that are coming up, we need to really pay attention and care for our whole body. Our our body exists physically, it, it exists mentally, it exists emotionally, and every cell, I mean, your body's doing billions of actions in this moment in time, and you don't have to do anything to make it happen. Hmm. We're using so little of our brain capacity, and we have such great potential to really utilize everything within ourselves to become our optimal being and live the best life you possibly can. So I really want to empower people to tap into that and pay attention, be creative, connect with yourself, eat well, do the things you need to do to have the best life possible. This is no just rehearsal. This is it. This is your body. It's so important. Yeah, it's so important. And I think, you know, creativity is something that we did so naturally as children. And as we grow up, we grow away from it. Or we just have a thousand things that keep us from it. And I think you're right. You know, people think creativity is, oh, you're born creative. Or so you have to be a sculptor, a painter or something like that. But it's it even as you were talking, I've often thought of taking about taking painting and, and the thought came up, I really should sign up for a painting class and I should know how to do that properly. And then you said, you know, people at the end of life just do it easy. I don't care what it looks like. I'm like, Okay, right. This is the whole point is I just like the idea of playing, whether it's with paint or chalk or whatever it is, to just do that, like get that feeling out or explore. And I think that's the whole point. Just go easy, find the easy route into this, you know? And I think that people assume they're an artist when they hit a certain milestone. 
that it has nothing to do with you're an artist as soon as you pick up a paintbrush. There's no, yeah. there's no definition that you have to have right. accomplished certain landmarks. You're a creator as soon as you begin to create something. You're mm-hmm. you're a human as soon as as soon as you're conceived. Like people have judgments against themselves for so many things where we have to get out of our own way, step aside and and allow the fullness of yourself, the full expansiveness of yourself to live mm-hmm. optimal life you want to live because we all totally have the power to do that if we choose. Mm. What is the message message that you want women to hear? I want women to know that it's our time. It's our time to take a moment to really become ourselves, the Mm. fullest, most expansive experience of ourselves. There's no right, wrong. There's no good or bad. There is just a way to be yourself, to let go of your judgments, take care of your body, feed it the right balance of real food, connect Mm. with yourself to know what you really need and want in your life and create in a way that feeds your soul and sets it on fire and and makes your life feel vibrant and and your whole spirit feel great. Mm. We can do it. We can totally do it. It's a choice. Make the choice. Make yourself yeah. the choice. Mm. And little step, baby steps along the way, you'll get there with Kathy's help. <laughs> um, where can people find you um, if they want to check out what you're about and, and uh, see what you're up to? I think the best way to check it out is go to my website. It's at KathleenBulger.com. And on there, there is a free course that you can connect to. So you can see me live and in person there. And there's a free ebook there as well, I believe. Um, I'm slowly re-morphing it to be more, I'm a very direct and clear person. And I really want my website to be as direct and clear as I am. Um, and it's like everything else. When you're in business, it's always morphing into as you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I have a book out as well called Feeding Your Optimal Being. It's available off my website. It's also available off of Amazon. But I mean, there's the free discovery call link. If you just have a question or you want to get together and chat, if there's something you would like to know that you haven't felt comfortable asking anybody else and you want somebody who's going to give you the good, honest answer, I'm your girl. <laughs> so a discovery free discovery call with kathleen bulger yeah and that's on your website people can go find that and there is there's a link right on the, okay. of the website perfect i just have a last uh few questions for you um what have you come to know about the power of being you the power of being me i think it's taken me a long time to step into the power of being me but i think what I've learned to know the most is it's totally in my hands and totally within my control. And, and it's almost like somebody had to give me permission to own that. And I think that everybody should know they can own it without anybody's permission. Mm, I love that. What has become abundantly clear to you? That, that women are the way of the future and we need to totally connect to ourselves and step into our truth and be our optimal being. Mm. And lastly, what does the world need most? You know, I sound like John Lennon, but love. Mm. The world really needs love. You need to love one another. You need to love nature. You need to love the planet. You need to love all the things about yourself that that you didn't like before because they are all an aspect of yourself and everything exists in polarity. So without the good, you can't, you can't, recognize the bad without the bad you can't recognize the good without my stroke I would have never gone into art 
without my heart attack, I would have never gone and decided that's it. I'm studying nutrition deep in and that's my new commitment. Like all of those experiences, like people say, oh, it's terrible. You suffered that. It's like, no, I didn't really suffer. I wasn't listening and I got a lesson delivered and I get a gift on the other side of that lesson. Mm, powerful message. Well, thank you for sharing your story, your, you know, all of the, all parts of the journey and how you help other women be an optimal being. So thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.